This is Creepy and Geeky, a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Welcome to Creepy and Geeky. I'm your host, Robert, and on today's episode, we're talking about the Fear Street trilogy. Joining me today is Mix Bell Morgan, the host of the Fishnets and Philosophy podcast. Welcome back to the show, Bell. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me back on. I'm looking yeah. forward to chatting all things Fear Street. Yeah. No, this is a, this will be an interesting conversation uh, because I have no past uh, association with R.L. Stein or anything like that. So, uh, because I grew up in the eighties before R.L. Stein and um, uh, Goosebumps and all that came about. So, uh, oh. I think I think the only person that we had kind of in the eighties was maybe Christopher Pike and maybe Lois Duncan, um, but I didn't even read those. So, um, so it's a little it, it's it's funny to. Um, look at a, a few of these things um but i think fear street is is fairly good um these movies um you know i i associate rl stein and stuff like that with being more teen preteen to teen mm. era stuff um and i i could be wrong so because these fear street movies definitely did not seem to be they seem to be teen but like older teen uh, so. oh yeah and well i think that was always the different like um so like with R.L. Stein, like his books and stuff like that, like Goosebumps was always kind of geared towards, you know, kind of that kind of like weird kind of like age gap between like kind of just when you're at that like preteen cusp when you're kind of just leaving right. childhood, you're entering entering teenage years, but you're still younger. And um, whereas the Fear Street, even though I've never actually read any of the books, but I know from they were always like, geared towards more YA so young adults like older teenagers like right. you know so there'd be more more complex themes and dealing with like you know I guess more uh, gory type of situations and stuff like that but I like um like you know I grew up with the Goosebumps TV series and I remember reading Goosebumps as well when I was a kid as well so seeing more R.L. Stein properties being made into either films or shows is just really exciting anyway right yeah I'm looking at this uh Goosebumps was started in 92 and Fear Street itself was started in 89 um so I should have been like because I was 15 uh, in 89. So, um, let's see. Yeah, it's, so I should have been kind of right there, but I think by that point I was already reading, reading Stephen King. And so I had yeah. already been like, I was already beyond, uh, fear street, I guess. And in, in kind of in my mind, um, I don't know. I just never encountered it. I don't think I never ran into it. Um, and, and a lot of my, so I didn't grow up loving horror um like horror movies and stuff like that um i liked it i watched uh horror movies and stuff like that but um i've always been more of a comic book person yeah um and so that's where my <clears throat> my major 
things went. But during middle school and high school, I did study like I would read a lot of books on like more non-fictional books about uh, the supernatural and mm-hmm. UFOs and all that stuff that was, you know, real interesting during that time period. Um, and so I read all the non-fictional stuff about it. And then when I did decide to read fiction stuff, I immediately went to Stephen King and kind of jumped over all that other stuff. Um, so it, it's interesting to kind of come back to it a little bit and, and and get a little bit of experience. Not much, but again, with this Fear Street trilogy, um, it, it gives me a little taste of what there was. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And I, I can kind of understand that as well when you were saying that around the age that you would have been when these kind of, I guess, the books would have been targeted at, you were obviously, like, as you said, felt beyond that. And I think that's something that a lot of kind of, it's funny, like teenagers in general do. It's like things that are kind of geared actually towards you. You kind of go, no, this is like, this is dumb. This isn't for me. I'm ready for adult stuff. And you seek out stuff that is like for more mature audiences because you kind of are a teenager and believe you're mature. So it's interesting right. when, we sit, when we cycle back to these things and kind of go, oh, I actually kind of could have appreciated this. I just, if I had have actually engaged with it at the time. <laughs> right. You know, but I was like, you know, so it, it should have appealed to me. I just I don't think I ever encountered it. That was the major thing is just that I don't remember these books being around. Um, and so I think that was the the thing. And, and, and most likely because I didn't seek out horror stories mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and, you know, I went you know, straight to the, the master of horror himself um, at that yeah. point. Uh, and so it's. It's a little funny, but all that being said, I really like these movies. Um, I enjoyed them the first time I've watched them. This is only the second time I've watched them, uh, rewatching them for the for this episode. And I really enjoyed them uh, for the most part. Um, you know, we'll get into it. Uh, but uh, my favorite of these, and I'll, I'll just lay it out real quick at the beginning, is my favorite is the first one, 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, that one... Uh, that one, I, I, when I first watched them, I liked, I, I said I like 1666 more, but I think that was because of the, because half of it's actually set in 94. So it's like <laughs> 1994 part two. So, and it actually says that when, when, when it switches back to 1994. So it was funny. So, but uh, uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the trilogy as a whole? Yeah, no, I have a I have a great time with them. Like, um, but yeah, no, I'm a I'm a big fan of the. I guess the trilogy is an entire piece of like the three of them. I definitely would prefer um parts one and two, um as film as like standalone individual films. And in general, because like the three the trilogy itself is like you know Netflix properties, they've become like comfort rewatches for me like sometimes if I'm just looking to watch something but I don't want to put something um new on because like you know you don't know if it's worth investing the time or whatever I'll just throw on either 1994 or 1978 I'll throw like either of them because right. they're just both good fun and it just depends on the vibe I'm in seeking out but yeah no I enjoy it overall and I'm just like it was such a clever concept to like drop an entire film of a trilogy one a week and i'm just like why netflix hasn't done it again like they it would just 
it's a sure thing people would tune in for it for sure right no i agree i think 94 and 78 are the two highlights uh, of them all i i don't think 1666 is bad um but i don't vibe with it as well uh as the other the other two eras um and it's uh but it but the whole series as a whole is a lot of fun um i think i watched it i don't think i watched it the week by week when it came out although that is a a good formula for them i think netflix should netflix and i think amazon are the only ones who kind of drop everything at once uh anymore i think everybody else has gone is is just doing the week by week thing again yeah um and i think that actually works better in a lot of ways um I think for... it like yeah so, no go ahead. I was just gonna say like I think it really depends. Um, like for example, I was talking with a friend the other day. Um, like we were just talking about like you know rewatching shows that we were fans of or whatever, and uh, she was saying that you know she started rewatching Orange Is the New Black and uh, saying she was saying though that. Like she could barely like it was almost like watching it brand new because she could barely remember it because the way Netflix does with all their shows is they drop everything at once and the same with Prime and you kind of watch it all over the course of like a day or two right. and that means it's, it you you receive it you it goes in but after a while like most of it is gonna kind of just leave your brain whereas like I've started rewatching like the Lost TV series and I'm watching it and I'm just like remembering what's happened because that was the, a show that you watched week by week and mm-hmm. it meant that you know you had an entire week to kind of reflect on what happened in the episode and then there was also the talking about it with other people so I think yeah. it depends but with this Fear Street uh, trilogy of a film one a week I think that is such a clever concept and honestly like if they just did that every October a different Fear Street, like, you know, trilogy of horror films, it would be such a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that I, I know it, it, when it came out, it was huge. Everybody online was talking about the series. And um, even I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to watch these. I don't think I watched them until after they, that all three came out, but, um, but I was, I was pretty excited to see them just because everybody was talking about them and I had watched the trailers for it and it looked good and i'm i'm surprised it, it like it's actually like while they use a lot of well-worn tropes um in slasher movies um they do it well um and that's you know i people talk all the time about slasher movies and how they're um uh nothing's original and and everything and and that's fine i don't care if something's original as long as what you're doing with it is fun and interesting i don't i don't need it all to reinvent the wheel every time i don't need a new scream every week i just want something that's fun and enjoyable um and 100 and, and and these movies did that you know they were fun they they had great soundtracks And yes, you know, (laughs) you know, and that's some that's a big one, you know, for each one of these, you know, 1666, notwithstanding. Um, But, you know, the the 90s stuff and the 70s stuff, just they were really smart in getting, you know, really good music and pairing it well with the the episodes as a whole 
to create that atmosphere of what you're watching. That way you never felt like you were out of like touch of that time. 100%. Like I'm just, that's one of the things that was definitely a highlight of, again, those first two films for me, you know, it's just like the needle drops, like um, banger after banger, just like, so like, like, no, definitely like uh, in 94, like I think like the first, like, opening like 10 15 minutes of the film feels like it's just needle drop after needle drop after needle drop like it's just it's kind of just like the film is just like look we were able to get all these big 90s hits we're just going to use them all right now we're only going to use them for like 30 seconds each though that was what was funny was like (laughs) it was like needle drop after needle drop but it was like just a, a little bit of each song and no it was great though i really enjoyed it yeah, 100%. And I think, like like you were saying earlier, that these films, like, you know, when they came out, like, they were, everyone was talking about it at the time. I definitely think it helped that these films dropped, you know, during the height of, obviously, like, the COVID lockdowns that were yeah. affecting the world. So, like, you know, everyone was at home and watching, net, you know, the streamers. Like, that's, you know, what? the only things people could do so right. it kind of they landed at the right time like i'm wondering if we either like had have never went through the lockdowns or even just now like in this kind of post lockdown world if like they had dropped just like on netflix now would there have been much fanfare i don't know so i think the films definitely benefited from the time like that they dropped and were released but even at that though they're just really well made and I think the reason why a certain generation of horror fans really enjoyed particularly part one is because the songs are like the songs of so much of our youth (laughs) so it's kind of just like hey I remember these when I would have been a teenager or stuff like that so yeah it was just like really really well thought out I think yeah, and I think, you know, having the episode in 1994, like the first movie set in 1994, um, really plays to that generation of kids who came up uh, at that time, like the mm-hmm. kids who would have been reading it at that time. And so that was like the perfect entry level of let's let's get all the old fans of Fear Street and let's just, you know, get all these music, you know, all these songs and uh, these needle drops and everything. And then you know, do it that way. And it works. I mean, you know, even for me, you know, being a kid of the eighties, you know, I was still, you know, I was a young adult in the, in the nineties. So it still worked, worked well for me, you know, and then the, of course the seventies one works well for me because it's, you know, it was 78. So it was like, you know, you had a lot of seventies music to, you know, pick from. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that was music my parents listened to. So it was, it was a lot of good stuff like that. So it was just those two those two episodes just work so well together 100% and like i think you know that's why they're the ones i've rewatched the most as yeah. in for this podcast discussion like i rewatched the entire trilogy yesterday and like you know i've seen parts 1 and 2 like now probably like <laughs> a few times cuz i just throw them on every now and then cuz right. they're just good fun but like this was actually my first time rewatching part 3 since the first time it came out okay. because it's just the accents. I just, yeah. I just can't deal with the accents because <laughs> one, they're all terrible. Like none of them are good. Like they're absolutely all shockingly awful. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that is just as an Irish person, I'm just like, whenever I'm watching a film, I'm like, 
if you want Irish accents in a film, just hire fucking Irish actors because there's plenty <laughs> of them around and you'll get a more authentic um accent. But also the thing that kind of really kind of grinded my gears about that, just from like an historical, I guess, perspective, is that, you know, there would have been no Irish in America at that time. Like right. the, pil- the Pilgrims, which is what this is like a settlement of like Pilgrims, weren't Irish there was no Irish there we were not part of it so it's just one the accents are shite but then also it just doesn't make (laughs) historical sense and I was just so I'm spending like the first half of that film just angry (laughs) and then it (laughs) goes back to 1994 again and then it picks up and it like gets better but it's just that first half of the film I'm just like watching it through anger I can't turn it off I'm just like no this is awful Yeah, no, the accents are bad. Like, I get why they didn't hire real Irish people because they were having them be played by the actors who were in the, you know, in the 90s, 94 and 78 installments. Makes sense. But it's, you know, it's, I don't know. That it, for me, 1666 just drags um, more than anything. It just, it's not as interesting um, because I think you didn't really need to tell the story of Seraphir in that depth. Um, I think you could have gotten away with it more by exposition. Um, just somebody finding like maybe a diary of hers or something like that and finding, you know, just kind of reading the the history of it would have maybe been more interesting to me um, than watching them kind of reenact it. Um, yeah, I guess like, and um, I suppose it's like a, it's a it's a tricky one because like I do think like the reason I I think it does drag as well is because obviously you know it's they're trying to do a mini kind of like you know folk horror film yeah a little in, version of the witch yeah, yeah exactly basically and like you know folk horror in general is like such a such a difficult mood to pull off and I kind of think it just they don't really do it that well. So it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. But I do like that they wanted to kind of give like Sarah's story, you know, Sarah Fear, the character, yeah. they wanted to give that character's story the time it deserved. Because at the end of the day, when right. you realize that the entire trilogy is actually like the twist is that it's actually kind of like almost a good for her kind of feminist yeah. story. I think if they had have just told it told it through like an exposition type way, it might have it might have lost a little something. Lost yeah. a little of the impact, I think. So yeah, even though I do find that first half difficult to sit through because <laughs> of the accents, um and it just they don't really capture the folk horror mood that well. Right. I still think getting to see Sarah's story played out through her words is uh, a good decision even if as a whole part three is probably the weaker of the trilogy. Right. Right. I think once it transitions back to 94, obviously it gets, it gets better. Um, You know, and it's, and it's fine. I like, I'm not hating on the 1666. I think it's fine. I just, there's something that could have been done to maybe make it a little bit better, but I do agree with you. I I, I'm, I'm very happy that they show you that and show you that, you know, give you that twist that Sarah fear wasn't, 
you know, ultimately, you know, we're jumping way ahead on this. Yeah. But, and spoilers <laughs> for everybody. Um, but, you know, she's not the villain of the piece. You know, she's she's fighting back against those who uh, hurt her and, you know, destroyed her. And it's, you know, it's I, I enjoy that aspect of it for sure. And, and I'm glad it comes around at the end and, you know. It would be interesting to see, you know, maybe a follow up movie based in in, in Fear Street, like after the events of this, mm. uh, just to see where things went. Uh, you know, did they really get better or is there something more, you know, probably? Well, it definitely, you know, so, like again, jumping well ahead, you know, yeah. the end of part three, like, you know, and, you know, was as, as like the credits kind of start rolling, and, you know, it zooms in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it shows. Right. It shows the her or like that kind of satanic Bible book, whatever you want to call it, being Brad picked up by it. someone. So yeah. there's definitely potential for there to be more. So yeah, I'd be yeah. interested to see it. And um, but yeah, like the films, I'm a big fan of them. And um, so yeah, you jump in, ask which questions you want on each part. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and we'll 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 backtrack now. We'll get back to 1994. Mm-hmm. So. 1994 is um you know it's i do like uh i i like pretty much everything about this one it's real fun we get um you know the uh the main characters um and now i can't remember anybody's names like usual um uh yes it will be something that i'll have to get up because yeah i (laughs) only like sam is the girlfriend that and the one that is has moved to shady vale and um, or no Dina's the, dean is the main one yes that's it. dean is the main character and she has she's she's broken up with somebody named sam um who we find out um pretty quickly was well there's a little bait and switch there you think it's a football player but then turns out to be the cheerleader who's with the football player and so you know so now we've got this nice um uh uh lesbian subplot of you know our main plot of you know this romance that's kind of had an issue because uh sam moved to um sunnyvale away from shady side so yes i i, I combined the two of them by mistake by saying shady vale <laughs> that's a completely different town that like you know maybe that's like gonna be a combined diff- yeah the, exactly yeah <laughs> It'd probably be better if they didn't call it Shadyvale. Maybe more Sunnyside would probably be the best way to combine the True. town names. <laughs> I think so. Shadyvale is very much like the 100% horror. Nothing good happens there. <laughs> right. So, you know, it. so there's, it, it's kind of hard. It's the usual teenage stuff. Uh, you know, they have, they have their breakup, but, you know, they didn't really want to break up. Um, and, um, but... You know, the boyfriend, the new boyfriend of Sam is um, trying to retaliate or whatever. I don't even like I'm misremembering things now, but they're chasing them on the bus. Um, there's an accident and um, they they suddenly get embroiled into the whole Sarah fear stuff. Yeah. And oh, so- I'm completely skipping. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm completely <laughs> skipping the cold open, which is like really good. Yes. Oh, I look. And we also I forgot have our, about the mall opening. 
I know the mall, like, and then also we've got our fantastic uh, Maya Hawk, you know, Maya Hawk in, from Stranger Things, exactly from Stranger Things and from uh, Do Revenge. And yes, uh, yes I still need like, to see that. I'd recommend it. It's good fun. Like, um, it, yeah. it is what it is, but I'd recommend it for a good watch, yeah. good, easy watch. But yeah, no, we've got, um, as I said, the cold open, and I think it's executed really well and it kind of, yeah you know it's there's a there's there's a nice homage to the first uh screen movie as well yes uh, definitely. It. so it's definitely she's being chased by somebody in a um in in a, like a skeleton costume uh with a skull mask and uh it, you know she's being terrorized by him and uh uh you find out uh as she's being killed that it's her friend um who works yes. in the mall with her exactly because like it was she was finishing her shift and he kind of appear her friend appears and like he's holding this <laughs> random like inflatable sex doll right, and he's yeah. just, like uh, there's that weird weird scene where he just makes some jokes about the doll and then he he says he just has to go close off his shop and then he'll be out to walk her home or whatever and that's as he said then it appears and he's he, she gets stalked by this killer and it's a really gonna well done cat and mouse scene that she gonna gets chased right. around the mall and then yeah she gets killed and it turns out that it was him but it's when she pulls off the mask like you know you kind of see this kind of weird kind of vacant expression in his eyes yeah, very vacant look, expression that looks like he i don't know wasn't really himself and then he gets shot by which turns out to be sheriff good Yes. So he gets shot and killed uh by Sheriff Good. Um and so I don't I don't really want to recap all these. Um yes. <laughs> but I I definitely want to like point out stuff and that's why I wanted to go back and point it out. Like uh and I and I've got no problem with you recapping. <laughs> I just was like <laughs> um you know, I don't want to get into a trap of doing it cuz then it just makes things really long and everything. Oh, yeah. So that but is anyway. a lot. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot with all three movies. But anyway, but yeah, so we we just so it 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 switches over to now dina and the whole dina and sam stuff um and that is the 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 crux of uh of the the whole storyline is this whole dina and sam thing kind of mm -hmm. is a through line through everything and so they um they they obviously they hear about the 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 murder at the uh, the mall and um you know everybody's bringing up Sarah fear again. And it's, you know, her brother, Dina's brother is, um, you know, a, a big, um, I wouldn't say fan, but he's, he's studies all this stuff about Sarah fear and has studied all the, um, the history and lore of it all and knows all about the, the different killers, the shady side killers throughout all the years and everything and so it's a, he's you see this pattern of killers every you know you know i don't know it looks like it's every between 12 to years. 15 years yeah i think it's exactly every 16 years there's been a different killer that okay. the theory right. is possessed by sarah fear and also i just love how the brother josh is basically like you know he's the randy of this franchise yes. yeah. like you know and i think in general every slasher tends to, after like you know scream chain you know as i said did actually turn the wheel in many ways since then so many like slash teen slashers always have has 
the one kind of nerdy kid that's the kid that knows everything and that's what josh is in this film and i think he does the role well i like josh he's a little lovable nerd yeah yeah definitely i mean you know i was i was that lo- i was that kind of nerdy guy <laughs> who knew a lot about comic books and like i said I, i've studied a lot of supernatural stuff and everything so i was kind of like the guy who knew a lot, lot about that random crap too so it was just like so i would have fit right in with that uh, but yeah, so he's got all the the lore and the history in his back pocket, and which will come come handy later uh, for sure. Um, and then we meet uh, Dina's friends, who's one's a one's the valedictorian, and one's her. I, it, it's it's not really said. He seems like the boyfriend at first, um, but may just be a, a friend. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of not clear. Uh, what role he is with uh, her friend um, and now I'm forgetting her name too yeah no I've, um, so the, her friend is Kate and then her kind yes, of Kate. I guess uh, her part two is uh, Simon yeah. like yeah Simon, so right. Kate and Kate Simon and seem to be this like duo but yeah I don't think they're necessarily a relationship no um, and I, I don't think they really ever were friends. they're just yeah, yeah they're just good friends and they're obviously um <laughs> Somewhat both uh, involved with uh, the drug trade in school. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So and then, you know, and, and and Simon definitely, you know, on the outward, you know, seems to be the kind of guy who would be involved in that wire as Kate is the valid, like I said, the valedictorian yeah. and the good girl and stuff like that. But she's using it to, you know, get money so that she can you know go to college and everything. And so, you know, it it's it plays on it kind of spins those tropes a little bit which is nice so a lot of this is you know like i said before that these movies play into the tropes but do it in different and good ways um Mm -hmm. so you know you've got the bad the bad kids and stuff like that you know but you know it's really the valedictorian and it's nice to see them kind of change that up and to show that and you see it in other movies as well too where you know the sometimes the the bad kid is actually the one you would least suspect as being the bad one because they are the valedictorian or the good student or, you know, just normally, you know, outwardly seem to be a good person. Um, So it's fun to, you know, have that um, portrayal in here because Dina seems to be more of the like in 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 most other things, she seems to be the one who isn't doing all the bad stuff. She just has the friends who are doing the bad stuff. Yeah, like I think, and also as well, like she does come across as the more, like just from her more character, like both from her, like as a character, Dina does seem to be the more kind of like rebellious type person. And it's why it's funny to kind of subvert it that she isn't actually involved with any of these um, right. quote unquote underhanded activities. But like I do like, you know, how the film, like, you know, you know, Kate and Simon are kind of obviously involved with like, you know, <laughs> selling drugs in in school um i like how the film doesn't really moralize about it either it kind of just says that they're just doing it like so it's not necessarily portraying it as like unnecessarily these people are evil or character flaws it's literally just kind of like unfortunately this is just a reality of like our society that people do this stuff like um so i did like how it wasn't making a massive point about it but it was kind of hilarious how you, you find that uh case is getting the 
young kids that she's babysitting to yeah. pack the drugs in the <laughs> to little pack the drugs. <laughs> I'm just like, this is absolutely hilarious. I'm just like, I can't imagine any other film is gonna have a scene of little children packing drugs, but Fair Street <laughs> went for it, and I'm just like, I I like this. This is definitely setting it apart from the rest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, no, there's little things like that that are just, you know, those little funny things that just keep setting it more and more apart from that. And, you know, they do make a point that, you know, because they're in shady side that, mm-hmm. you know, there there's a difference between these two cities, um, these two towns. Sunnyvale is where all the rich people are and, you know, they do everything goes well for them and then shady side, everything just goes bad for them and all these killings that have been happening uh, over the last, you know, like 300 years or so have all been in shady side only. Nothing yeah. ever bad happens in Sunnyvale. And so, you know, all these kids who are in this, yeah, they're doing the drugs, like they're selling drugs and stuff, but they're doing it because their parents are out of work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, there's just bad opportunities everywhere in, in shady side. And so, you know, they're doing it because they kind of have to in a way. So there's no, there's no real moralizing to it, but they do have kind of an explanation for it. Um, they don't just kind of sweep it under and just go, Oh, well, they're just kids doing bad things. They're like, well, exactly. You know, 100%. Yeah. And I think they're just trying you know, to live. Exactly. And I think it's, it does a good, it, it's really interesting how like across like the trilogy, because obviously having the two different, you know, towns that like are almost like a yin and yang to each other. Like, um, it's a really interesting way that the film trilogy is kind of having like a under the surface kind of commentary on, you know, I guess like maybe even suburbia versus inner city and stuff like that, you know, in the sense that there's always one area that's viewed as this is where the good people are and nothing bad happens here versus that's where all like the, you know, the terrible messed up poverty is and only bad stuff happens there. And the film kind of, you know, as a trilogy kind of subverts that to say, well, no, there's, you can't just say, only good people exist in one place and only bad people exist in another humans are shit. There are good and shitty humans everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's what you see too. You know, you're seeing, you know, the Sunnyvale kids are douches and you know, the, you know, the, the shady side kids while having to, you know, sell drugs and stuff to make ends meet and to do things that they might otherwise not do. They're essentially good people. And, you know, and that's what is nice about seeing something like that, that, you know, sure, they live in a bad area that has no opportunities and all their parents are like struggling and everything, but they're just trying to do what they can to also survive and but still be good people at that. And and that's what Mm -hmm. like even you see most of the shady side people in this are essentially good people like nobody run across for the most part in shady side is is a horrible person and deserves anything that they're getting so mm-hmm. it really does you know you know you do really do believe in this like conspiracy that something's going on that is making shady side just out to be this terrible place and you know and that's you know overall everything you learn is the curse of seraphir and so but you know obviously we've already said that you know it's not quite what we what we're led to believe. So 
so through all this, they they are being stalked by the 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 skull guy, the skull mm-hmm. mask is what they call him. Um, and uh, so they get, I don't remember who was it. Oh, okay. So when they get into the accident with the school bus and everything, Sam uh, gets a bloody nose and uh, ends up bleeding on this onto the ground. And when she touches something in the ground, she gets this sudden like shock of visions in her mind uh, mm-hmm. that we don't find out until uh, in the third episode is like visions of Sarah fear. And, um, and at that point she's being stalked by uh skull mask. Um, and through this, they figure out, Hey, you know, they're trying to get to her probably because of, you know, her blood. And then like, you know, um, blood gets on Simon's shirt. And so they're coming after him too. And eventually it's not just skull mask. It's some of the other killers, mm. uh, from the previous, um, killing sprees. So like the, 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 the masked killer from, uh, the, what is it? Camp Nightwing from 1978. And you've got mm-hmm. uh, Ruby Lane um, from earlier than that. And so you've got uh, these uh, other killers trying to come and kill them uh, who should not be alive, um, but suddenly are and trying to kill them all. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, it's interesting that they do that. Um, that they, you know, it, it adds a supernatural element to this, you know, obviously, I mean, we're talking about a witch named Seraphir and everything that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to add this extra supernatural element to essentially the normal slasher uh, uh, formula. And it's exactly. not like they haven't done it before, you know, we, and we've had Freddie and we've had, you know, Jason himself is somewhat supernatural, at least in the la- latter half of his series. So it's it's fun to you know add that element to it uh, that uh, you know doesn't always get added to it. So it's a nice addition to it. One hundred percent, and I think um, like the way that slowly kind of uh, like I love I love films like this that like have that bit as you know the characters are kind of figuring out the information as you're figuring it out you know i think it's a fun way of doing it like sometimes you'll have a film where you know something the characters don't and that's where the Mm -hmm. kind of interesting tension is but i like with this film we're none the wiser so we're learning everything as the characters do and i i like the way the film does it but it's just like first it's you know when they're at the house um dina realizes that like the skull mask guy is there but then it turns out Sam isn't there. He has followed him to the house because that's obviously where Simon's bloody shirt is, but they didn't right. realize at the time. And then, you know, it follows him to the hospital and that's where Sam is because they at first she thought it was the douchey boyfriend, but the douchey boyfriend right, yeah. gets killed by skull mask right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, they're just like, I just really like the way the film just adds to it bit by bit bit by bit and you realize what is actually going on and quickly you learn that josh was right from the start that this is the curse of sarah fear all the friends eventually actually believe him (laughs) once they realize oh these uh people who shouldn't be alive have started following us around that's not normal (laughs) 
Right. Because at one point skull mass does get un 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 like unmasked again. Yep. And you see that it's uh the same kid from earlier who was shot in the head. He is there and he's got the bullet hole in his head, but he's still walking around alive. So it's a it 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 adds to all of that all all of their panic and and everything else and you know rightfully so I mean you've got these guys who are coming back from the dead and who cannot be stopped um, and you're just trying to figure out exactly how to do it and so then they finally figure out how to stop these killers from coming for them and how to you know hopefully break this um, curse from coming for. Um, Sam and they figure out well we need to kill Sam Sam needs to die and um so that we, and but be brought back afterward but you know make sure she dies enough times because that's what happened to um you know this character that they find out uh named C Berman who was the person who survived uh the Camp Nightwing massacre 100 and so yeah go ahead sorry no, I was just going to say, I think, isn't it just before it, they have that realization of like, you know, see Berman's existence and what they need to do, like right. they have their entire plan of will burn them all in like the high school bathroom. And that oh, entire right, set right. piece is so yeah. well done when the way really they well lure done, them. Yeah. But also, I just love that moment how it's like literally all of the characters like have some form of like sexual intimacy yes. like it's just like because they obviously had to check each other's bodies to make sure there was no extra bl sam's blood there so that there's no one that could fall no the monsters would tr follow them and you know they each have different moments of like checking each other's bodies and then going we might die let's do something and then simon just on his own <laughs> is checking his own body and then just obviously has his own solo fun and they all <laughs> reconvene before like trapping the killer monster creatures and um simon's just like wait did did you all go to pound town <laughs> he's just like so did i it was just like i thought it was like a really kind of like in well done scene because like yeah so so many kind of like you know slashers and particularly kind of like i guess if you think about like the teen slashers of the 90s which obviously part one is kind of reminiscent of so right. many of them have like a lot of kind of like heavily sexual scenes and stuff like that and i kind of like how this film includes that but in a kind of more kind of nuanced way so yeah i like right. how they had that element to it as well so it did feel like it was definitely drawing from a lot of the 90s slashers and that era um of films for horror but yeah and then obviously they kill all the monsters and then they start right. just you have that black ooze as the bodies just start coming together again it's yeah. like oh shit <laughs> we don't know <laughs> what to do and that's as i said then they realize oh sam needs to die <laughs> right no and i think you know you br you brought up a good point about the sexuality in this and 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 all that that this movie series doesn't shy away from that mm -hmm. um which is good i think that it's interesting to and i'm not sure how much sexuality was in the books themselves but um but it was nice to see in a movie series that was made here in the 2020s that they didn't shy away from that, uh, that they included that because, you know, that is part of horror and, 
you know, just part of being a teenager in general mm-hmm. that, you know, that, you know, the heightened tension and everything else is just going to be a part of that. And I mean, you get a little bit of it in 1978 as well. Um, yeah. And the, I get a little bit more because you actually get a tiny bit of nudity in um, in 78. Um, you don't get any in this one. But so it's interesting to um, get this in these two movies, at least in these first two where they actually kind of focus on that, they don't shy away from it. And especially in this day and age where we're starting to get this weird um, Puritanism, it just Mm -hmm. popped up on Twitter again, Uh, just the other day, people were like the discourse around, you know, sex scenes in movies, you know, being a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, having sex scenes in movies is not a bad thing. Um, you just because you don't like it don't watch those movies then like, exactly that's, and that's also, all i say if you don't like sex and nudity don't watch those movies 100 percent. and like you know just as a mini little aside just on that topic though but you know when you're having that discourse like so much of like you know the kind of comments are all about oh like you know what does it add to the narrative what's the point you know what's the need for the scene in it and it's just like humans just in general have sex like you know this yeah. is a story about human characters having sex as part of just being human so like right. why you know to me it's weirder when you have like all these films that don't have any intimacy whatsoever like whether that's yeah. like you know full-on sex or just like you know like set some form of like sexual intimacy whatever and it's just like it's weird when it's absent because it just feels robotic. So yeah, I'll never right. understand it. Like what's the need for it? There doesn't need to be a need. It's just humans <laughs> being human. Stop right. being a puritanical weirdo. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with the Marvel movies, not having much in the way of that because it's an action movie. You know, it's, 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 it's based in comic books and stuff like that. It sure you could put some stuff into it and I wouldn't be opposed to it and everything, but they're never going to be that overly sexual anyway, because they have to meet that PG 13 rating. So 100%. they'll never go above that. I mean, they some knew. will like Deadpool and stuff, but you know, and I was, I was grateful for Deadpool and I'm grateful. Hopefully that Deadpool three is going to stick to its R rating and that we'll get some of that in there. But yeah. it's, I just think that, um, in general, like, I guess, because I guess somebody complained about how Oppenheimer had, like, nude scenes with uh, Florence Pugh and uh, Gillian Murphy. And I'm like, so? I haven't even seen Oppenheimer yet. But I'm like, but obviously the, the it was about them having sex and having a relationship and, and, and the casual in- intimacy and being able to be naked in front of each other. You know, that's part of that. You know, it's part of this. I, even I understand that. I haven't even seen the damn movie. Mm-hmm. Um and that's what, you know, that's what's nice about this trilogy of movies, at least these first two uh, first two movies, is that, you know, they they delve into that. They know kids, people in their 20s, you know, early 20s or whatever, late teens, they're going to have sex. You know, that's not something you should shy away from just because it makes people uncomfortable. So exactly. it should make you uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's, sex is uncomfortable. It's, it's you know, if, if it's, you know, it's like we we watched game of thrones and sometimes our kids would watch game of thrones and they, they were still kids at the time they were, you know, uh, middle school, high school, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd sit and watch it with us. And I just saw that today. Somebody was saying, well, in, 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 in recognition of the, of the discourse again, what was the, what was the thing that you watched with your parents or whatever that, 
was you probably shouldn't have and some people were like yeah game of thrones um because yeah game of thrones was kind of like you know i i think game of thrones is fairly tame compared to something like actually like spartacus if anybody's actually seen the stars tv series, oh, spartacus spartacus the was of steamy shows oh I it was spartacus. so sexual <laughs> oh it was perfect it like was you think game of thrones was bad spartacus yeah. was was like way over that so 100 percent. god i, mean, I missed it that was, show it was it, <laughs> it was it was it was like raunchy like like very close to if they had you know shown much more they would have probably gotten an x rating but 100 it was basically like one level away from being porn and i loved it it was <laughs> yeah. like there's we need more stuff like that but no like um i know we're getting off a little bit off track <laughs> about the theater right. films but like i think it's an important conversation to have in like in, it is and like these films like do kind of touch on it in an interesting way but like that whole thing of like oh like you know like you know yeah, it can obviously be a little bit awkward, like, you know, watching sex scenes when your parents are in the room. But, right. like, ultimately, the only reason it's kind of awkward is because in, like, kind of our Western society, you know, very much nuclear family kind of monogamous society, talking about sex is something that just doesn't really happen that much. So it's right. kind of becomes weirder when it's, like, watching a sex scene with your parents in the room like in theory because we're all just humans it shouldn't have to be something right. that has this level of weirdness or awkwardness attached to it but i think it's just society has conditioned us to view it as a weird awkward thing so yeah right. like it you know because if you think about it you know back in like you know hunter gatherer era like you know of previous like generations of humans like you know entire family units like you know lived in these like small tiny tents do you think that you know parents weren't yeah. like having sex with each other just because their kids were in the tent no of right course, of course they were because like he's having sex is human you had to so, do yeah. it when you had to do it yeah <laughs> exactly like you know you weren't going to go out into the wilderness where like animals would get you no you're staying in your tent like you know yeah. kids be kids but yeah that's a little random tangent but no yes. but that's but i agree with that because like when when my kids would watch game of thrones we would like we would be watching it and the kids would come out and we'd be like okay well this is game of thrones you know there might be nudity um we're not changing it you know, but so if you can't handle that, you can either go away or you can cover your eyes or whatever you want to do. And they never did. You know, they yeah. just watched it because, you know, it we didn't make it uncomfortable. We didn't make exactly. it a, a whole thing of, oh, there's going to be boobs, you know, <laughs> like cover your eyes. You know, we were just like, if you need to, you can. But if not, that's fine. We can be a, a, adults and just watch the show and enjoy the mm -hmm. show for what it is. And like, the, that's the thing. My daughter and I, we go to movies now where I can't even remember there was something recent. Oh, we, we went to um, like no hard feelings. And, you know, there's, there's a really quick scene with full frontal nude Jennifer Lawrence in it, you know, and neither mm. one of us got awkward because it's just a movie, you know? So. Exactly. And also I'm just like, you know, silently like, you know, applauding you because it's just like, that's the right way to do it. You don't make, you know, <laughs> like that's just, that's, yes, that's the right way to do it. You like, it's only becomes weird and awkward when you make it a weird and awkward thing. Right. If you just kind of, exactly. as you said, simply just say, Hey, this is the thing you just, you decide how you want to react to it. Boom. There exactly. you go. That's how, that's how you <laughs> raise good humans. <laughs> so I'm just like <laughs> applauding, but yes, coming back to the film, <laughs> I really enjoy yes. how the Fear Street films have that little element in it. 
and as you said the last bit the last bit we actually touched on was that they realized sea vermin survived yes. by dying so they they yes. hatched this plan of having to kill sam and i love how <laughs> the fact that it's uh kate and simon were the school drug dealers they're the ones that know how to <laughs> kill sam in a safe way <laughs> they're just like all right yeah. take these pills for this these pills for that but don't take them too soon you have to take them at the right time oh i just love i love how it's like and you can tell that clearly there was research gone into it because you know that they're not just making that up like that feels very right. accurate that you know these pills do this these pills do that take them in this order and you you know your heart will stop and then we can revive you <laughs> right well and they make a point of it because simon's brother had died um yeah briefly he had he'd od'd and so simon was like yes so it's this combination because i know what like what, what my brother took. my brother od'd on and so uh but i think it's interesting too i thought i thought it was funny i saw somebody online i think it was probably on letterbox uh mentioned like there was literally like why did they make her choke those pills down like you couldn't have gotten a bottle of water you were in a grocery store why couldn't you have gotten her <laughs> bottle of water or something to help her get those pills down they were like <laughs> just like especially when the like the 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 killer showed up and they were like okay we gotta hurry up we gotta finish this you know and they were like uh, dina was basically shoving the pills into her mouth and it was like give her some water like it was such a weird <laughs> thing to do it was like well it i just think it, like made me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah de oh definitely but i think it wasn't she was taking them normally i think at first but then she obviously because her body was reacting she started to vomit so i think it was i think that was just dina and like no, that's one of those things where it's like it's always so tricky when we're watching particularly this type of like you know slasher or teen horror films you know where characters kind of make decisions and we're watching it in this kind of very safe you know logical like perspective like where we're safe at home and are on our bed or on our couch and we're kind of going you know as you said why aren't you just drinking water like that's such a stupid thing right. to do whereas like those characters are in a stressful situation and particularly right. now that there's a killer there so it's it's so sometimes it's very easy to kind of say oh why didn't the character do this or why didn't the character do that and it's just like well how would you react if you were in that exact scenario what? so like who knows maybe if we were in the exact same replicated scenario we'd do the same thing and we wouldn't even think to grab water because we're just like shit the killer is coming we need to get these <laughs> right. pills down no, now no, I know. <laughs> I just but thought I, it was funny. <laughs> it, it is kind of, it does kind of stand out though. But I think maybe that's why it's done well, that it kind of, right. does, it's it's memorable. Like it stands right. out and it makes it more stressful. Like if it had been, as you said, just goes for the water, it might not have been as tense a situation for the film. So yeah, it's interesting. But um, yeah. also we're in the grocery market or store and we have probably one of the best set pieces in a lot of modern horror that I've seen in a long time. Um, one of the grossest but awesome deaths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're talking about Kate, right? Like getting oh, I know. the bread Poor slicer. Because like, so, she was such a fun character. <laughs> she was too. I was sad to see her go. Um, but she, the, the interesting bit about that was that uh, Lee Janiak, uh, the uh, the person who directed uh, these movies, mm -hmm. she wanted the bread slicer. And um, the I guess the special effects people were like, 
that's not going to work. That will never slice a head. And so they got a bread slicer and they put a watermelon through it and it worked. And so they were like, okay, we're wrong. We'll do it. So, <laughs> so, you know, you know, now, you know, a bread slicer really will cut through a human head. <laughs> oh, that's a, but, oh God. Like, but I love oh. how like, you know, they didn't, cause like, that's the thing as well with a lot of teen horrors, particularly modern teen horrors. They do kind of, cause they obviously, because if they're teen horrors, they're, especially if they're getting like theatrical releases and they're right. geared towards teens, they obviously want to get a certain rating to be able to be right. get teenagers into seats. So a lot of the times, like, you know, horror films that are very like aesthetically and thematically teen horror films will pull away from the very gory scenes yeah. and then only show the aftermath. But I kind of like, because this is like a Netflix film and Netflix, it's a streamer yeah. film, there isn't, they don't, they don't have to have a theatrical rating. So this is a teen horror film that doesn't pull punches with the gore scenes. So I love how right. they literally show the entire bread slicer sequence. And it is so hard to watch. It's because... so hard to watch. It's very gory. <laughs> yeah, very gory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's on par with like Evil Dead level of gory. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's intense. But yeah, no, it's great. It's a great bit. It's, it, you know, and I agree. Yeah. Normally when you have to make a PG-13 movie, you have to sanitize things because uh, you're trying to do it for the widest uh, uh, audience. So anytime you do something like that, you're going to cut down on a lot of stuff. You're going to maybe show show the knife entering, but break away real quick and like yeah. not show much in the way of blood or gore. And so it's it's disappointing for that aspect of it. Sure. But it's understandable because they're trying to go for a wider audience. Um, you know, something like, you know, this year's uh, uh, Megan, uh, which, mm -hmm. you know, in its PG-13 version, I still liked it in the theater. I loved that movie. I thought oh, it was fantastic. Was so fun. It was so fun. And but a lot of people didn't really enjoy it um, because it seemed sanitized and which it was. It was a PG-13 movie. And so but when it released on uh, video, they added the uh, uh it like extended or unrated cut and that way they added more of the blood and the gore and stuff like that to give it more of that you know impact of probably what they intended originally uh, but mm -hmm. then had to cut back for uh, the wider audience so but yeah so it's nice to see them do that because they have the ability to uh, on netflix because they don't have the same uh censors because it's a you know, a, a streamer, they can do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> so and again, this is what kind of plays into that more gore, uh, the more sex, you know, uh, you know, cursing and stuff like that. They're able mm -hmm. to get a lot, uh, get away with a lot of stuff that, you know, if they had tried to put these out on out in theaters, oh, these oh. would have not had the same impact. And I don't think would have been nearly as good. 100%. I think the reason that they are so effective is because they're, like, as you said, they don't pull away from anything like they're they lean into the gore, which is like and I'm just like, as much as I do think, you know, streamers have in so many ways negatively impacted the like cinemas and like, you know, the whole movie going experience. I do kind of wish we'd get more teen horrors that are for like direct for streamers. Right. Because then you don't have those as much ratings or sensors so they can do more. So 
Yeah, I just wish that I hope like I do know that I heard that there is supposed to be more Fair Street films in the works. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully we do get more in time because these three are just do such, such a good job collectively. Right. No. And I and, I, you know, I'm I understand people's problems with streamers. Um, and I agree, uh, especially in part that they need to be paying their talent more, paying, mm-hmm. paying writers and everything, paying residuals. Um, the fact that they're not doing um, that is just abominable. And, you know, I'm I'm glad they're striking right now. So and I will support that until they get what they need. So but, you know, uh, on the same token, I do believe that the streamers are holding a good place over not only broadcast networks, but also over the cable networks that they're able to do things that nobody else can do because they have the freedom to do that. They have no restrictions on anything um, other than, you know, whatever they choose to have restrictions on. So it's Mm -hmm. nice to see them branch out and do these things, um, you know, such as fear street or, you know, any of the other things that they've done that, you know, um, you know, things that I haven't watched or whatever, like maybe like Mindhunter or something like that, where they're able to explore, you yeah. know, other avenues of things in a deeper way that um and, and be able to show things that nobody else is willing to show. And so I, I I very much applaud that. Now, that being said, Netflix has a bad habit of like of their movies being just, I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes too long. So yeah. I want I want them to learn how to edit just a little bit, <laughs> just to cut some of the extras, like you know the 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 extra bits that don't need to be there. So that that's my one complaint is that a lot of Netflix movies that I watch uh, over the last year or two, especially, just seem to be a little too bloated. Um, yeah, they could just do with a little bit of extra trimming. Not all, but some. <laughs> definitely i think so like there definitely needs to be uh some more people in on the editing floor with uh, with some netflix films uh because but i think in general though maybe that's just a reflection of the way a lot of things have changed because like you know right. we're getting more and more like both on streamers and theatrically longer movies like you know across right. the board yeah. like you know it feels like you know the days of like a solid 90 minute film are kind of gone like Sadly. we're getting yeah i know i look like that's one of my favorite things when you check a film and you're just like oh 90 minutes perfect i can throw this on yeah like, so sometimes if you see a film and it's like says two hours or two and a half hours you're just like oh that's a that's a, yeah, that's a, a bit of an investment <laughs> yeah yeah it definitely takes a lot longer like 90 minutes i'm i'm good for like especially a sub 90 minute movie you can give me like 87 minutes Ooh, it's mm-hmm. even better um <laughs> exactly but... <laughs> especially if it's a shit movie it's not that long <laughs> yes exactly oh i can't tell you how many movies i've watched where i'm just like oh my god but don't get me wrong there are some that are 87 minutes or even 80 minutes and those are too long so oh yeah like in general especially if they're like, really shitty you know as much as i do like you know uh, solid as you said an 87 or 90 minute runtime film i'm a firm believer that like you know 
a film's runtime is as long as it needs to be to tell the story effectively. Yes, like, for example, exactly. you know, I have seen Oppenheimer in film and that's like, you know, that's a po- like that's a post three hour film, but it doesn't feel like it because it's right. just yeah. so well made and so well told that you're it doesn't feel long. Time, yeah. Exactly. So whereas, you know, as you said, you can sometimes have like a 90 minute film that feels like it's three hours oh, long. Feels like a three hour movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think. On the whole, most films, if they're told well, it doesn't really matter what the runtime is. Yeah, it doesn't is. matter what the runtime exactly. is. Yeah, but yeah, I I do agree that some Netflix films are a little bit bloated, <laughs> or even yeah. their TV series or anything. A lot of oh, times, yeah, it's just yeah. like, oh, this documentary series that's eight episodes long really could have been four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe. Maybe that's where they need to like, you know, they'd save some money, you know, if they could, you know, I don't know, cut some of that down. Don't give everybody everything they want, <laughs> but give the exactly. people, give the right people exactly enough of what they want. Like, I don't want to take away from anybody. That's fine. Uh, fix it in editing. Just, yeah, that's really, really where make, it needs to be done. Make it more equitable. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back yeah. to, <laughs> back to fears. Um, but yeah, so. You know, they figure out Sam needs to die. This is so funny because we got wildly off topic. Oh, um, <laughs> and so they they try to they try to do the pill thing, but the killers are there, so they have to fast track it. And so Dina now has to basically drown Sam in like a fish tank. Yeah, uh, in the is, lobster just, tank. <laughs> yeah, which is just gross. <laughs> oh um, yeah, like that's not going to be nice water. So dirty and gross. Like I get that you're killing her, but like I don't know. It's like infection <laughs> after the fact is not going to be good. So <laughs> oh, I know exactly, but it's kind of like it's one of those things where it's like they obviously had to kill her in such a way that they could yeah. bring her back, so they couldn't do exactly. anything brutalistic. You know that would have been no, quicker. they couldn't like you stab know. her in the heart. Or exactly, yeah. they had to do something that would allow them to bring her back. So they were obviously yeah. very limited options. But I do love how like we have the entire sequence as like she's trying to drown Sam when Josh is like running away from one of the killers. We've got Kate being killed in the bread slicer. Simon is also running around trying to avoid being killed. And then yeah. you just have like every now and then it just pans to the little lobster just making its way up the shopping aisle. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just like I just love those hilarious shots where you're just like, because it's obviously a close in on the lobster, but it's just in the background, you just see Sam's body flailing as it's being yeah. drowned. And I'm just like, I'm just whoever like put this shot this is in. Very good camera you. work. Yeah. Very, like just <laughs> thank you for this shot because it's just like <laughs> I think it get, it leans into the campness that a lot of yes. 90s teen horror films had. Like, so I love how these films, like, as you said, they they reuse a lot of tropes, but they don't do it in. It doesn't feel like it's just done in a picking something off the shopping rack way. Like, it right. feels like, you know, they're doing it like out of respect like they know what works yes. and they're doing it well like it's not just oh this is what's been done before we're just going to do it they actually there's been a lot of well thought out like heart behind each thing they're pulling off right. in the film well and this this movie specifically is definitely an homage to the 90s era yeah. like post scream slashers mm-hmm. um so it's it's doing it does that very well um with a lot of the you know the the humor and like you said like like we said is the 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 tropes that they use and everything and i mean we get the same thing in 1978 where the 78 
plays with a lot of the tropes of um slashers of that like camp like the camp the camp killer mm-hmm. genre that was more of a staple of the 80s um but you know definitely plays into all of those tropes as well um which is nice and fun because you know it's 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 having them do that in both of these is makes them both more enjoyable uh yeah. in that way because you you get to acknowledge oh yeah that's you know what's in these movies that's cool that's fun you know while also still telling their very own story mm-hmm. um you know and so you know so they figure out they they get sam dies they bring her back when she dies the killers go away um yep. and then when she comes back um uh she is now um like is it it's not well she comes back but, no, exactly yeah. it's not immediate she comes back and she seems to be normal and fine and they right. all go back to dina's house and it's when like uh and also, like, Josh as a character has had a bit of, like, character growth in that he's, like, you know, actually ordered pizza. Like, you know, yeah. they made a lot of comments that he was, like, so withdrawn into himself. He didn't really know how to branch out and, like, engage with other people and stuff like that. So it's obviously he's done gained more independence as the film has gone on. Um, right. But it is that moment where Dina and him are just talking and then the phone rings. Dina answers it and it's C. Berman who's rang them back. And, yes. you know. It turns out she goes, it's not over. It's never over. And then it turns out that Sam has been possessed or turned or something. Turned, or, yeah. Yeah, she goes She goes very evil dead, kind of dead eyes. Yeah, very feral, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just grunts and groans. She's got, like, no, like, you know, communication skills anymore. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then she she attacks him. She, she kills Simon and... Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, they they have to uh, stop her and. um, uh, Do they go do they go to see Berman's house in this one or is it in the next episode? And they do end up at see Berman's house like they like it ends up with like them there because like they obviously have Sam in the car and like it ends, I think, with the boot lid opening and Sam is there. And then the second film picks up exactly from there where Sam is right, like right. brought in and C Berman starts obviously telling them the story of her right. night camp nightwing experience. And that's when it goes back to 78. And I just love yes. the, like the look and feel of 1978, like the film, like it just, it's like, cause obviously it's, you know, the different era so it's like the costuming is like feels very accurate and feels very different it's much brighter of a film like because 1994 is a film the entire it takes place at nighttime the entire time like there's no daytime shots yeah whereas 78 is like much brighter and most of it is daytime and yeah i just really like the feel and vibe of it and obviously as you said it's kind of now more paying homage that i guess like the you know the Friday films, the kind of camp Friday counselor the, yeah, style Friday films, the, 13th, the burning, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, I just really enjoy it. And also, it brings in like you know, C. Berman as a young character, the main character, you know, Sadie Sink, another Stranger Things yes. actress, and she's just fantastic. Like, I just love her in this film. Like, as an actress in general, I think she's so good, but she's really great. Yes. She just like she stands out in this film like she definitely carries a lot of the scenes i think 
Oh yeah. No, she's she's definitely, you know, the main character in this. Uh she's she's uh, her character is, is Ziggy Berman and her sister is uh, uh Christine Berman. I think. Oh no, Cindy Berman. Yes. And so, you know, we're meant to think that Cindy Berman is C Berman. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, because, you know, Ziggy and Cindy. So we're meant to think that Cindy is the is the younger version of um uh, Jillian Jacobs character uh, mm-hmm. that Dina and them have just now uh, uh, gone to their gone to her house and is being told the story. Um, but um, we uh, so we get it, you know, we get involved with this and now it's, um, you know, Ziggy is being harassed by, uh, you know, obviously the Sunnyvale kids um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and uh Nick Good, who is the sheriff in 1994, uh, he you know stops them and you know tries to get them to um, uh, leave her alone and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, because you know he likes her. And uh, so, over the course of things, they um, uh, what is it? Um, Ziggy needs to go get her arm. Um, treated for a burn that she was given by one of the uh, the bitchy girls, and uh, she goes to the nurse, who turns out to be Nurse Lane, who is uh, Ruby Lane's mother. Mm-hmm. And Ruby Lane uh, was one of the killers, so uh, was the killer. Like I guess sixteen years before, and uh, so then we've got uh, so we've got that, but she's got a, a mysterious book on her desk, um, and uh, it's like a book of witchcraft or something um you don't really know what it is at first but uh but then uh she um does she try does she she tries to kill um tommy right hey yes because i think that's what it is because like she obviously wants to bring forth somehow the next killer i guess right and yeah like i think there's more, there's a good few more kind of subplots happening in this film compared to 94, right. which like, you know, there's a lot more threads that you have to kind of hold on to at the same time when you're watching 78 right. compared to 94. And like, so they did, even when I rewatched it and I've watched it, you know, a few times now, but even when I am rewatching it, I'm just like, wait, what's happening again at this moment? Because it does right. feel a little bit like narratively it feels a little bit more disjointed than 94 like overall i still really enjoy part two like just because i guess more of the setting and i think there's great set pieces again but yeah there's definitely there's definitely a good few different things happening at the same time and you just have to catch yourself going wait oh oh yeah yeah Well, I think because 78 is trying to tell the bulk of the story there. Yeah. Because, you know, it's trying to lay a lot of the groundwork for what you're going to discover in um, the third episode, 1666 slash 1994 part two. And so, you know, it, it lays a lot more of that that groundwork. Whereas the first one is more about introducing everything and introducing all the ideas and everything. And then this one. Um, you know, the the main plot of this is that Ziggy um finds the book um and and her sister um has to deal with like uh, suddenly her 
so her boyfriend Cindy's boyfriend Tommy is attacked by the nurse and uh she tries to kill him um and uh you know he obviously uh doesn't get killed but he's worried that you know he's going to die cuz that's what she said he's going to die tonight and so it's so that's kind of like the main thing that's going on there's this like they're trying to figure out why uh she would do something like that but yeah and like i think it's also like, <laughs> like you said there's so much going on and i kind of want to like you know kind of hit like the big beats of everything yeah it's kind of like it's it's very as you said it's very lore heavy compared to yeah. part one like part one was more kind of just like evade the killers and this is what we need to do is to... more straight up slash yeah, yeah it's a lot more straight up whereas part like this one is more much more lore heavy and it's trying to as i said lay the groundwork for the the last leg of the trilogy and um, so there's definitely it's definitely got a lot more going on that it's trying to resolve like i think um there's also like you know there's the whole like i guess the what the plots are revolving around is that there's like the kind of the two warring sides of the camp that you know you've got yeah camp the shady and, side versus the sunnyvale yeah, yeah exactly the like so they're like doing like kind of like a capture the flag type situation thing where it's like one type of the one there's only one winning team basically red versus blue <laughs> but it's just like right. i do love when they're obviously like you know the camp counselors are like pit you know obviously trying to like you know encourage all like the teens or the the teens and the kids to kind of get in the spirit for this type of like game there's just like where it's like you know the older good brother he's just like you know we've got you know Sunnyvale versus shady side and he's like doing this whole speech and then he just goes good versus evil and it's just like yeah what (laughs) like do you really like view the other part of town that badly that you literally just consider them all to be evil (laughs) right just like god you've got some issues man jesus (laughs) yeah but yeah like so that's happening and we've obviously got the camps dispersed across the entire like massive acres that the camp takes place so there's all these different people scattered about while tommy then gets possessed by Sarah, Sarah Fear, or yeah, it's Sarah Fear that yes possesses people, isn't it? Yes, it's Sarah Fear yeah. that possesses them. Yeah, so gets possessed by Sarah Fear, and obviously starts going on a killing rampage. Um, so I no, will say, actually, it, 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 no, no so Sarah Fear doesn't do the possessing. It's no, the so devil that does. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it. So we find out in the in the last movie, um, yes. that um that somebody is controlling them um, through this. Um, there's this underground and we find out in this movie, in the second movie, yeah. that there's this underground cavern system. And then there is like this altar to the devil. Um, yeah. and, and also the weird undulating. Ooze. <laughs> yeah. And there's these stones with all the name, uh, with all these names on them. And in this Tommy Slater's name is on that include and uh, at the bottom below like Ruby lanes and some of the other killers that have come before that. And so mm-hmm. when your name is written on that then you're the one being controlled and being, you know, sent to do, um, you know, the bidding of whoever, um, yeah. the, whoever is controlling you. So there, cause there is somebody who's made a pact with the devil and is doing that. Um, 
for that, you know, so, uh, but, uh, so that, and that's kind of what we find out in, in this one, like the, just to, you know, cut it quickly is that, you know, you find out that underneath the camp is this altar, um, mm-hmm. and they, they get down there, um, Cindy Berman and, uh, another girl go down there and, and find it, um, along with, um, Alice, Alice is her name and Alice's boyfriend go down there. Um, and they are quickly attacked by Tommy and, um, you know, it's, and then they're trapped down there uh, for a bit while Tommy then goes back up and starts killing. And like, so this is something that I thought was interesting too. Like in the eighties, we didn't get a lot of kids being killed. Um, every once in a while, a kid would get killed in a movie and stuff like that. But largely in the slashers, they kind of left the, the, like the little kids alone, like teenagers were fair game, but little kids were left alone in this yep. one, man, the little kids are getting slaughtered. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's it was crazy. I mean, you don't see it. They're not yeah, trying, like this see, is an instance where they kind of do it effect. off camera. So, but uh, but yeah. So this one and this one is interesting because seventy eight is like I said earlier. Seventy eight also has um an instance of there's more nudity in this. Um, mm-hmm. just a little bit. There's even more sex, like more overt sex. Like in yeah. the first one, they they allude to things happening, but they don't actually show you anything. Well, this yeah, time they show the two instances of, yeah, they, this time they show people like mid, mid coitus, like <laughs> actually having sex with each other. And, you know, you don't see anything really too much, uh, except for the second time where you see a, a hint of a boob. Um, so it's really not that bad. And then, and then the guy's, uh, butt. so uh, after he gets up, so, you know, it's so it's not a whole lot of nudity, but it's enough. But there's more sexuality in this one because, you know, I'm I'm presuming most of these kids are either late teens, early 20s, uh, the ones running the camp. Anyway. Yeah, the counselors would be older. So that's why I yeah. think they can kind of get away with showing more of it because, like, right. it's, you know, they would be older given that the rest of the kids in the camp are younger. Like, you know, so I like, again, as I said, the film kind of, yeah, this would happen. Counselors would totally be yeah. fucking each other at camp. They're there for the entire summer. They're young, horny people. That's definitely happening. So I like how the film just confirms it. And again, it more it's taking from like the tropes of those even though they are technically the 80s era slashers but 78 is on the cusp of that and but you know (laughs) it's taking from like the friday the 13th films and all that where it is about camp counselors who basically are having sex (laughs) the entire time and that's why they're being killed (laughs) because they're having sex and because yay we love our moral messaging in that era of horror (laughs) but yeah, but yeah. Film... So I mean, between the ki- between the like the hard kills, and, like they're killing kids, and then they're like, you know, there's sexuality and stuff going on in this. Oh, I, I I thought it was you know interesting that this one was kind of the more like, um, like elevated one for that. Like e- they 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 made it uh not like elevated like elevated horror, but they mm-hmm. elevated the sex at uh, the sex and the ho- and and the violence in this one. Uh, even more so than in the last one yeah so i thought it was a a, an interesting and especially because i do think it is in 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 a way it's actually a commentary because like we said it's it's more about each one of these movies kind of touches on and is an homage to those genres of of slashers and stuff uh, of those particular eras where you know the 70s and 80s you had more nudity you had more sex you had more you know violence well the violent 
they you thought there was more violence. I mean, looking back on a lot of the '80s movies, it wasn't really as bad as it as as they tried to make it seem to be. Especially in the wake of like the '90s and early 2000s, where they start getting really brutal. So oh, yeah, <laughs> like the, <laughs> the the naughty era of horror was brutalistic horror. Um, but yeah, I like how each film is, as you said, doing that. It's paying an homage to a different type of genre of horror film, or even an era of that yeah. same genre um so yeah i think it does it well and yeah 78 i i do enjoy it even though obviously like narratively wise there's a lot more going on so it's very lore heavy but i still think it just looks really nice and again it's got some really good set pieces and kills and it it does have like kind of like a strong like it's interesting even though you're watching 78 you know it's a flashback so you know that there's you know only going to be kind of one survivor and all of that it still packs like a strong emotional core to it like the two sisters like and cindy and ziggy like you know you really kind of feel for them for what they go through even though you kind of go into this film knowing what's going to happen anyway right yeah and you know you know everybody's going to get massacred you know that you know c berman is going to uh get killed but somehow survive uh in the end and that's the way she survived and and got away from it all um but uh yeah so it's it's this one and this one we learn like i said we learn about you know the book and we learn about the you know we learn that um uh, they figure out uh, through the course of this that uh seraphir's hand was uh, separated from her body and the, this mm-hmm. all of this is like the curse is like the curse can't be lifted unless you put her her hand back with her body yeah, um, unless she gets laid to rest yes and so um that is um you know how they they think they need to stop the curse um and so they attempt to do that and um they're not successful um in the in the um in this movie obviously uh, because we still have a third one to go (laughs) um but we do discover uh at the end uh both cindy berman and um uh ziggy uh the sisters uh they get out they escape but then they are attacked at the very end and um uh and it and it sucks really bad because cindy is actually killed by her boyfriend tommy yeah Um, and just i can't can't even imagine like you know he's controlled you know he's no longer himself but that's still that realization that you're being killed by somebody you loved um is just like it's just so messed up Um, 100 and actually just touching on that when you said that you know he's controlled i like how this film it shows that like the person getting possessed, getting controlled, right. isn't like an immediate thing. Like it's a gradual thing for Tommy. It's a like gradual it, thing, yeah. You know, and I really like that element of it because obviously the first film, uh, ninety four part one, you know, we don't see like what happens with Ryan Torres. We just kind of see him go, and then it's only at the end after he gets killed when the mask gets pulled off that you realize that's who it is and um, right. whereas i like with this one you kind of see the gradual process as tommy starts to change from being tommy to being controlled by these satanic forces and yeah so yeah god like cindy the way she dies getting killed by her boyfriend would not be um yeah you can't imagine what's going through her head at that moment yeah 
And then, uh, you know, Ziggy's also being attacked. She's being killed. And then, you know, they, but Nick good shows up, uh, and revives her, Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, he's fallen in love with her. Um, you know, as we assume at that point, but that's how we know she died and was able to come back. But, you know, uh, Cindy is dead. So we now know that Ziggy, uh, slightly afterward, she's, um, she's on the gurney and, uh, she's, they ask her, what's her name? And she says, Ziggy. And he says, um, uh, I, I can't remember. Is, is her name Christine? I don't know. It's, it's another C name. Um, yeah. So, so and then you realize that she is actually C Berman because she's the one who's still alive. Um, and so that's who Ziggy was is the younger version of the character that Dina and and all of them have met now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It was Christine Ziggy Berman and her sister was Cindy. Yeah, so yes. they're both obviously C's. <laughs> so that's yes. where the confusion was. <laughs> and well, and they did that. Like then they've done that twice now. Uh, a little bit. They 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 did that with you know the the Cindy Berman part of it, but they also did that in in the beginning of the first one where you know Dina's uh you know, broken up with somebody named Sam, and so they they keep playing with your expectations of of who these people are and mm-hmm. and everything. So. It's a interesting uh, little bit uh, for each one of those. So it's nice to, you know, they keep doing little things like that. So, um, but that gets us to uh, 1666, um, sort of, because um, Dina, she, she finds the hand, right? Because she finds yeah. that it's buried next to the tree, because that's what they did. And this, it's buried next to the tree in the mall. Um and um and but now they need to get back and take it to the body because they know where the body is because they discovered it when yeah. um after the uh, crash Sam, in the first one yeah exactly so now they got to get they got to reunite them um and i think they get back there right and that's when um she suddenly has all the memories of 1666 yeah so it's when they when she reunites the hand with the body that's when like um she so because yeah so we get like like part two like doesn't yeah part two like we get like um so christine or ziggy has told her story and then it kind of does have a little bit of 90 they're back in 94 after finishing hearing the story and that's when they go to as you said get the hand and reunite it and it's only then when she touches the body, like reunites the hand with the body, she gets obviously what happened, I think, with Sam, she gets all of the visions of like Sarah Fear kind of like invades her mind almost. And right. then that's how part three starts from 1966. Or no, 1666. Yeah. <laughs> 1666. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then you know, we we get this um, you know where the characters of Sarah fear and her friends and her brother are all played by, you know, the, the, the characters we've already come to know. Um, so yeah. they're, you know, so it's an interesting little bit there. Um, and we discover that um, uh, Sarah fear is in love with another girl and it's, you know, being, you know, um, it's, it's Sam in this version as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so she's, uh, she, the pastor's daughter. Yes, she okay. is the pastor's daughter in part right. in 1666. Um, and then um and then Sarah Fear has been like 
is her. She is friends with um a what is it Solomon Good, right? Whose wife and child have died. Um, and then she's um so there's kind of like a connection there where um I think Solomon Good wants her for his wife or whatever. Um but um Yeah, she... and I think with um sixteen sixty six as well, isn't it that um you know there's been some like mysterious like kind of deaths like you know in the town and isn't that right. why like they obviously there's been or mysterious goings on anyway i'm not sure if there was death there's definitely something odd going on and right. that's why they target also i think sarah fear and the previous iteration of sam and um, right or actually no i well, think they, her... they they go out for a a nighttime all the young you know the younger kids the teenagers or whatever they go out for a night out in the woods uh where they drink and they party and they have fun and everything like that and um in this version the the character who's played by uh the character who played tommy slater um is now like peeking in them and like oh saying they're so sinful and everything um and sees that um sarah and um the sam character in this one her past version was hannah Miller, yes, yeah, because yes, she, she was she was Sam, yeah, Pastor Miller's daughter, exactly, yeah, yes. that's what it was. But yeah, isn't yeah that you're you're right? Yes. sees her them being sees them <laughs> evil, like, yeah, sees them like you know you um you going off together, and then like you know I think they I don't think they get very far, but maybe they kiss a little. Um, but he sees them, and you know he. he uh, witnesses them being evil um and uh so then it it something starts happening in the like at, like the day after where things start going wrong in the um in the village um that yes the, all the all the food is. is now starting to go bad um and so the the preacher is now or the pastor is now like so everybody's thinking things are going bad. And then the, the pastor um, has now gathered all the children in the um, in the church and they go to everybody tries to you know figure out what the hell's going on because it's weird. And they break into it. Uh, they get in there and the pastors killed all the children by taking all their eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, also uh, carved out his own eyes. And so. You know that everybody's like, "Oh, it must be witches, witches! Yeah. Somebody must be doing something." And then, of course, the the guy goes, "Oh, it's Sarah Fear and Hannah Miller because they were out cavorting and you know doing all this." And um, and then it everybody just you know mass hysteria like bullshit um, just yeah. plays into turns it. into a proper witch hunt. And I really, yeah, like, I really like how. You know, again, you know, coming back to it, as much as I despise the accents in this part, yes. I do really enjoy how accurate this part feels to like what witch hunts were, which was right. basically all, most of the time it was like, you know, 
queer women that were being targeted by Puritans. Somebody different, yeah. Exactly. That's what witch, you know, that's what these witch trials were. It was like difference was being punished. And, you know, a lot of the time it was queer women, like lesbians, and that were being targeted just because of the fact that, you know, they didn't like men and they didn't want, you know, so that's why they, a lot of those like historical actual witch, you know, you know, hunt victims were. So I like how this film really taps into that and kind of is showing how ridiculous witch hunts are like it's you know it's definitely not on the side of the people who are having the witch hunt you know it's showing them as being the i guess ones who are in the wrong right so yeah so um sarah and hannah uh run away um hannah ends up getting caught but sarah ends up going to solomon uh, Good's house and hiding there and while hiding there she manages to get underneath it and underneath there is the altar Um, and she mm-hmm. discovers that Solomon Good uh, is the guy who has uh, made the deal with the devil Yes, and uh, he's the cause of everything and so you know he pulls her out and like once he's once he knows she's discovered his secret and everything he pulls her out says oh i found the witch and everything and they end up uh uh, chaining her up and uh hanging her up and she curses him that she's going to follow him through time all of his Mm -hmm. descendants and everything and you know she will make them pay you know and so and so that's where it really comes down to is that you know because she made that curse and you know people heard it and and all that that through time now through solomon good's line and everything they just keep up this this charade that every killing and everything else like that is related to the curse of Seraphir. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the good family has been doing all this to the people of shady side all this time and has been enriching themselves and everybody else in the Sunnyvale area. And so it's, it's this whole thing where you think that, you know, it, it's, it just, Again, it, it kind of goes into the whole like you know, there's there's something if it's too good to be true, it is. So mm-hmm. definitely, and like it, it, that's the one thing though about like the the I guess the main narrative of the entire kind of trilogy that is something that I always just kind of like leaves me a little bit like oh really again, but it's the whole thing of yeah. like you know, it's showing that like the evil was you know someone making a deal with the devil like you know so it was satan right. it was like the devil which was what was the source of evil um rather you know, than the, the fact that it was them just themselves being evil fuck their whole their like, exactly their whole family and line was just evil 100 yeah. but also as well like you know it's just because like obviously then it just it you know it's taking this i guess you know if you want to think about it, this kind of moralistic or you know christian type perspective of satan and the devil is evil and use of it is evil so kind of like you know i guess leaning into that whole kind of like you know satanic panic and that type of thing right and it's something that i always just find a bit like oh really are we really still doing that trope like (laughs) you know because like 
in the real like actual in the real world like you know there are like practicing like you know satanists and stuff like that and if anything real genuine practicing satanists are like punk rock people and they're queer people and they're people who just like do everything that the christian religion should but doesn't and it's kind of it's really i always find it a little bit frustrating when you see a film like you know a horror film that once again kind of goes down that route of portraying satanism and the devil as evil and it's just like oh they're gonna they could have like done something so much more interesting like if like they could have had the entire same plot line of like the good family, you know, are using this like supernatural power to, you know, keep themselves like benefiting, you know, every right. 16 years they sacrifice someone from shady side. And that's why everyone in Sunnyvale like um benefits, but it could have been yeah. something like, you know, you could have gone like some weird type of like Lovecraftian monster. You know, there could have been yeah. so many ways to yeah. do it without it having to just delving into, you know, satanic go, yeah. Panic shit. Yeah, exactly. Go back to something that's been done before. And yeah, that's the, that's my only kind of like personal gripe with, I guess the narrative yeah. of the trilogy. But other than that, I think what they do is really well. And that I really like how the third film reveals that, it was at the end of the day, kind of a, you know, a, a strong kind of feminist, like good for her revenge film in that right, Sarah yeah. Fear has been trying to get revenge all this time and has now right. finally been able to be laid to rest because of what happened to her. And um, yeah, so that was my only gripe that really Satanists again. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it would have been more more interesting if you had done like some kind of elder god type thing. Like, you know, definitely put it put it in some other context uh, that that definitely didn't need to be there. Um, the 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 Christian uh, aspect of it didn't need to be there. Um, but you know, otherwise, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that they, you know, the good for her aspect of it, the fact that she was, you know, seeking revenge against the good family uh, this whole time, that was her soul thing um and realistically i mean she wasn't really doing much of any of that she just you know because none of this was due to her all these killings were because of the goods and because they were you know doing all of that so realistically sarah fear had nothing to do with any part of this reuniting her with her hand had nothing to do with it other than giving the the whoever did it the memories enough to figure it out Um, And that was the sole reason for doing that. Exactly. And also, you know, it just shows that, you know, what happens at the start of part one, like the reason that, like, you know, Sam is being hunted by those like possessed um, killers or the, you know, the brought back to life undead killers is because of the fact that obviously she has been touched by Sarah Fear, so has the potential to figure out the truth. So that's why she's been targeted so when you realize the nuance of how everything is connected through the trilogy there's so much going on that's really well done and watching the three in a row like i think it adds the strength to each film because you see how interconnected they are so yeah like overall though i think as a trilogy it's very solid like it's a very solid trilogy like none of them like you know are 
bad or weak films like my no. personal gripes with part three are just like little things like about accents yeah, and exactly. stuff like that but other than that like i think overall it's done well and i like that moment when you see the real sarah fear um telling yes. you know telling her like story or you know telling the curse and like you know she's obviously now you get to see her as how she actually was. I liked that touch because I remember at first when you're first watching 1666 and you don't realize really what's happening, you're just like, wait, why are they all the same? This is really weird. And then you just turn out, right. oh no, that was just how they, she was being told the story was, you know, so right. exactly. Real, realistically, all those actual characters that you're seeing they didn't actually look like that that was just yeah clearly, yeah exactly you know that was dina being you know through like sarah filling it out with her brain or whatever so yeah it was a i thought right. that was an interesting touch and um, yeah definitely and the way that uh nick good gets you know his comeuppance by having like <laughs> yes. all the kind of blood poured on him and the killers then end up just targeting him yes oh it's done beautifully um but also just a little throwback to part one but i just love the moment in part one where what is the he's like the janitor in the grocery mall yeah and like he's in the he's been put into the jail because like of like you know using <laughs> tags but it's just a bit where like sheriff good like leaves him in the cell and walks away and he just goes sheriff good more like sheriff motherfucking evil like yeah. <laughs> i just love how it turns out that wait that was actually the film it was like, actually telling, true it was yeah. true it was, that was yeah. letting us know that this isn't just a pissed off man that's actually a fun little oh yeah no if you pay attention <laughs> he's been the bad guy all along <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no and i like that about that you know it comes full circle and kind of like clues you into some of the like little things that you might have missed and and everything that you know kind of pointed out oh yeah no nick good was actually pretty bad to begin with so yeah it's a it this is a you know wrapping this all up this is a you know a fun trilogy that i think um you know is really cool about paying homage to um, you know, the slasher eras of the, you know, 70s, 80s and 90s and and doing it in a fun, uh, contemporary way, um, you know, uh, bringing us a lot of um, queer um, characters, yes, you know, um, ultimately, that like, you wouldn't have gotten during those eras either. So exactly. It's nice to put and, them in better, better. Yeah, to. 100% because like the thing is it's not like you know there wouldn't have been queer people in that era they definitely there were you know queer people have been there since the start and um, so yeah. I like how the film recontextualizes it but also you know that's the one thing that we haven't really touched on that much and um, but the simple fact that you know as a trilogy it's a trilogy that has like queer characters at the center of the film the very and they survive all, yeah. like they survive yes. like it's not just and also they're queer characters that just happen to be queer, you know, so it's not a film that's about their queerness or anything like that. No. They just happen to be queer people who are involved in this fucked up situation and right. they survive. Like most horrors, like if you think about it, like, you know, a lot of times, like obviously, per, you know, teen horrors in the 90s and then we lean into more of the early 2000s, that's when you got to see more and more queer representation on screen. But a lot of time they were side characters and they were usually the ones that get killed off pretty quickly. There's very few queer characters that survive in horror. So having queer characters that are the main characters 
and also survive is a pretty nice uh, turn of events. So yeah, yeah it's definitely. Like, and you know, so this strong underlying kind of like feminist revenge story with queer characters as main characters. I'm not going to complain about any of that. I think it does it well. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. And, and like, I enjoy that. Like, you know, obviously, you know, I've, I've you know, everybody knows that I'm I'm a straight man and everything like that. But I think that, you know, you can watch this and enjoy it for what it is and enjoy the mm-hmm. characters and everything that it's not preachy. It's not trying to hit you over the head with any kind of message about it. Exactly. It's about love, you know, and it's about saving the people you love. And that's ultimately like you can like that's the thing about this. And that's what I love about a movie like this is that you can or a series like this is that you can put queer people into this and still have the same experience as being a straight person. I'm sorry, but we've already seen tons of movies with straight characters that, you know, that that, that is literally the same thing. You could have put straight characters in this and made it the same way. Um, but it wouldn't but it wouldn't have had i think the same impact as it does without the queer characters and i think having the queer characters in it makes it so much better and 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 much more um uh has more depth to it than it would normally it'd be a lot more surface exactly and i think as well having you know queer characters through it as the kind of core of this film it's what also really contextualizes and has impact right. of the 166 you know the 1666 sequence of like witch trials like again coming back to what we were saying earlier queer people were the targets of so many witch trials so right. having queer characters being the heart of this overall story really hits home that type of narrative and um, so yeah there's right. lots going on and you know like as an aside you know as queer people, we have to put, you know, we have to watch most films that have straight characters and we're yeah. easily, we're able to relate to it by going, oh, hey, these are just humans in a situation. So if straight people can't relate to a story with queer characters, eh, you know, really? Uh, I don't believe you. I don't right. believe you. <laughs> but yes. No, no I, I mean, yeah. It's, 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 it's just like, look, there are, there are decidedly very queer movies that I probably won't watch because it's not something I would be interested in necessarily, but I have watched stuff that is like that, that is like, um, that I can relate to. You know what I mean? It's like watching a, a predominantly black movie. Like there's things in all of these movies that are going to be different. Yes. But they're going to still be at its core. They're going to be about humans dealing with humans. And Mm -hmm. Exactly. When it comes down to it, you can it, like you can put yourself into those places and enjoy those movies just as much. And so, you know, it's it's I I don't anybody who says, well, I'm not going to watch that because of the that reason or whatever, you know, because there's queer people. in it, Then you're just missing out. You know, it's just you're missing out on a good a good movie that you could enjoy if you just, you know, put your own self aside for a minute. Exactly. So. And like ultimately, you know, if all if all of our movies and stories were from the exact same perspective all of the time it would get oh, boring, so boring pretty quickly like yeah. so having different perspectives having different voices is exciting so that's why i'm just super excited to see you know i'd love to see more of these type of fear street style films like you know i think the concept of what netflix did with these films is really interesting of getting a filmmaker to tell a story set 
during a certain era of horror, like paying homage to that era while also telling its own unique story from that filmmaker's perspective. That's really cool. Like I'd love to see more young filmmakers of different, you know, backgrounds doing something similar, like, you know, paying homage to a certain genre of horror by telling their own unique story from their own perspective. So yeah, I think if Netflix doesn't like capitalize on this again and tell more Fear Street stories or Fear Street style stories of just simply like, hey, this is we're gonna get this filmmaker to tell a 1970s set horror film, but from their own unique kind of modern perspective. Yeah, there could be really interesting. But yeah, um overall Fear Street trilogy, highly recommend. I think everyone should watch oh, it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and and, and you know, and th- that's the other thing too is that this this series of movies was was directed by a woman, um, yes. and it was fairly successful at least in terms of, um, the social media awareness of it. Like literally mm-hmm. everybody was talking about it on my timeline when it came out. So to me, that seems like it's a very positive thing. Um, and hopefully it did well in terms of viewers. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we never know with Netflix or any of these streamers; they never release viewership numbers. So, uh, so we can only hope that it did well. But it's great that a woman uh, had the opportunity to make these movies, and you know, and I will continue to champion that. Uh, right now, we literally have the Barbie movie, which made over a billion dollars now. Mm-hmm which is fantastic. It is the most, it's the movie that's made the most money for Warner brothers ever. So if that, and they're taking like, everybody's taking the like some, Oh, yeah. I think Warner brothers gonna... is taking the wrong tack on that and going, Oh, we, we need to make more movies about toys. No, it's like, you no, need to make more women centric movies. Yeah. Like, or just <laughs> in general, like, you know, Instead of it being, oh, hey, we're going to make an entire now universe about different toy films. It's like, yeah. no, that's not the message. The message that is was just not the message. Like, remotely. let filmmakers tell stories in their own unique voices. Yes. Let more, yes. let more women filmmakers tell their stories. Let more queer, you know. So whatever it is, like, just tr- trust a filmmaker to tell a story in their own way. Let like, people you know, be creative. Exactly. Like, and you know, just the simple fact that you know, like again little t- tiny tangent but you know Greta Gerwig Barbie <laughs> is super successful and it's happened but like when you compare it to you know like Christopher Nolan is a super successful film director but it's also yeah. he's a white man who's been able to trust yeah. to be told like to just to direct whatever way he wants every time like you right. know there hasn't been any massive studio intervention whereas no. like you know most filmmakers that are minority backgrounds of some way so women or black director you know whatever a lot of the time they're not as trusted to be able to just no tell their vision like you know because a lot of time auteur theory or directors are not viewed as visionaries if they're not a straight white man so it's just yeah, like yeah. yeah but yes i really hope we get more fair street or fair street style films because they were fun we need more yeah. like like and i think if you think about it in a way the fair street films kind of were like the first kind of like starting of like just more kind of fun horror films like you know when we got like the fair street films came out when they did and then not that long after that we had like malignant and then now we got megan and we're getting more just 
fun horror films that like you know they don't pull away from being kind of getting away from violent. the elevated you know the quote, yes. unquote, oh, elevated. only the elevated <laughs> i hate it too like but you know but getting away from that like using um uh it's not elevated but it's using uh uh like uh what is it called like grief uh, like or trauma centric yeah stories. grief and trauma yes exactly trauma was what i was thinking of um but yeah getting away from trauma stuff not that that can't be done well because talk to me was a really good movie um and that's centered around grief and and stuff and so it's you know uh, not to spoil anything um uh, but it's you know, getting away from that solely is really good. We need more fun, more exciting. Like this, the 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 two newest Scream movies, whether you like them or not, they're still having fun with the franchise. And exactly. so that's that's the main thing to to take away from all of this is let's keep having fun with horror movies. That's what they're ultimately supposed to be. We can still have the ones that are 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 more like quote unquote you know, important or, you know, delve into the deeper things and stuff like that. That's okay. I like yeah, those. We too, just, we just want variety. Let's have a diversity. Yeah. Want. Like a variety yeah. of all to different types of horror films rather than, you know, which is like, again, it's the way stu the studio system works in that it's like, you'll get like a film like a hereditary that does really, it's a very yeah. fantastic film. It does really well, but then it means studios go, Oh, this is what is doing well. We need to green light more projects like this, which means you get more of those kind of slow burn style trauma centric films, which yes, they're fine, but we want more variety. So right. horror fans don't just want one type of thing. Give us it all. Like we want it all. Like we want the buffet right. of horror. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're getting that now. Like I think the studios are finally yeah. starting to realize a little bit, you know, hopefully we get out of this mess of this, of these, um, uh what's it called um these strikes but once we get yes. out of these strikes hopefully we get towards a, a a an aspect where we're getting more uh fun stuff again mm -hmm. definitely i'm i'm looking forward to getting more things as they get released but yes i also at the same time though similarly i do not care how long the strikes take place once oh, yes. they, you know, the writers and everything get and what they deserve because they do deserve it. One interesting Absolutely. thing I saw today, though, which hopefully it might change a lot of the studio's tact, was there was a U.S. federal judge who made a ruling that AI created yes. art can't be copyrighted, which means yeah. that I think a lot of studios are going to pause now because obviously they were trying to go towards, oh, we can do more AI stuff, which means we don't have to pay people. But if you can't right. copyright it, well, then, hey, that means anyone can use it. And studios, right. we know how much they like their copyright. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that might change their tact a bit. So we'll see. We shall see. Let's hope so. Yeah. Let's hope so. But yes. <laughs> and to, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, just wrapping this up, uh, where can people find you online? Perfect. Yes. So I am Mix Bell Morrigan. So that's M X B E L M O R R I G A N. I'm on all the socials. So Twitter, Instagram. I'm even on Blue Sky now. And um, okay. so you can find me on all of those places. And then in all of them, I have my link tree. So you can find once you're on my link tree, that will bring you to my podcast and sites and and also any of my like my sex work related stuff too so yeah if you want to find me anywhere you can find me through 
my socials and that will lead you towards the rabbit hole of the rest of the stuff I do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on. I very much appreciate it. Always love having you on. It was an absolute blast. <laughs> we went on a few tangents today, but they were fun. We always and do on my show. <laughs> we, that's true. But no, this was great fun. And I thank you for giving me the chance to talk about these fun films because more yeah, people should talk about them because they're good films. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, hopefully hopefully this will get a little bit more of the conversation uh, started again. <laughs> Perfect. But no, thank you for having me on. It's an absolute yeah. pleasure again. Thanks again to Bell for joining me. On Friday, Iona Smith returns to the show to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. And on Monday, Angel Krauss returns to the show to talk about the Blair Witch Trilogy. Thanks for listening. Creepy and Geeky is a part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Please check out morbidlybeautiful.com slash podcasts for more great shows. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving the show five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, please share the podcast on social media to help spread the word. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or at creepyandgeeky.com. Music for the podcast is Gratitude, composed by Jerry Smith. You can follow the podcast on social media at creepyandgeeky on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, I'm GeekThulu on Twitter and Blue Sky, and Geek.Thulu on Instagram. You can support the podcast by ordering teas and more on TeePublic or by donating to the coffee page. All of the links are in the show notes. Finally, don't forget, stay creepy.